Uh, some of you uh, may be pretty well versed with my salvation story. Uh, some of you may not, uh, but uh, I had been attending church with Carol for about a year, and there were many, many people at our church there at the time who, uh, I, some of them I spoke about last week, that invited me along the way to come and see what this life with Christ was all about. Come and see what this life with Jesus is all about. Come and see who he is. Uh, I listened through Neil Arterburn's Sunday school classes. And I remember before I was a Christian, we were studying First and Second Samuel and the life of David. And it's the very first time I'd really ever heard about David besides the David and Goliath story. And uh, just learning all about this man of God. Um, I listened to Chuck Kohler testify from the, pla from the plat platform uh, in between playing songs on his guitar, songs that I had never heard of before, uh, never heard of these Christian songs before. I sat at the dinner table of Steve and Carolyn Vance, and uh, I listened to the sermons of Stephen Lester. I played games at their houses. I hung out with them and became friends with them. And it was those friends and family that supported me and gave me room to understand who Christ is. And they invited me to come and see with him what he was all about. The journey I was on before I was a Christian, I believe is just as important as the journey that I've been on since I started to follow Christ. What I've come to realize here is that Jesus was just at harder work on me before I became a Christian, before I started following, as he has been working with me since. He was at work in my life before I ever called upon him. And, uh, you know, I'm just one example. Maybe your story is a lot like mine. I'm sure there are plenty of people in this room that could testify about how Jesus has drawn them in, how Christ could use someone to speak truth into their life, or how God maybe gently nudged or maybe not so gently nudged them in the right direction. But I don't want you to just take my word for it. I want to invite a friend of ours, a friend of mine to come up. Joe Smith is going to come up and join us on the platform today. Could you give uh, Joe a round of applause today? <laughs> um, Joe has a story that I doubt is extremely unique. I'm sure it's one that as you hear part of his story today, you are going to identify with. Um, change some people around, change some dates and locations, and your story might follow right in line with Joe's story or my story. And so I just have a couple questions to ask Joe about uh, uh, maybe even his life before he became a Christian and how he came to that uh, decision. So Joe, tell us how old were you when you became a Christian? I would have to say that was probably about 35. Uh, I honestly wasn't a Christian until I started coming to this church here. Uh, I believe uh, to say I was a Christian was to come here to actually start following God. 35, so maybe a year or two. No. Yeah. Just a year or two ago. Yeah. That's how it works. Um, 
So how about, uh, without being too detailed, what was your life like before Jesus? Chaotic. Chaotic? Chaotic. Just uh, running from one thing to another, really no purpose, no vision. I mean, I put myself in a position at early age to have to do that, and then God was kind of just not even there because I just wasn't uh, aware of it at that time. Okay. Um, were there times in your life that you now you could say that Jesus was working in your life without your knowledge? Uh, now, yes, definitely. Back then, obviously, I was clueless, didn't have a relationship with God. Uh, so there was just certain instances, whether it was going to a, a Sunday school or a Bible camp with a friend or uh, this one instant really spoke out where I was traveling back and forth to Texas to see my kids uh, after my first divorce. And some lady at the train station is like, do you accept Jesus Christ as your savior? I'm like, yes. And ever since then, it kind of clicked. Obviously, I didn't pick up right away and start following him, but it just, I felt something right there. It was a nudge going in the right direction. I just wasn't listening. Thank you. Um, how about, were there times in your life pre-Jesus uh, where you felt God's favor? Or maybe, maybe you, you felt the, the grace of Jesus even though you didn't deserve it? Uh, yeah, I mean, again, looking back, because obviously I didn't know back then, but uh, I caught on fire when I was like five. Uh, I had an amputation in 09 uh, before I started coming here. Those are some more severe cases. Obviously, there's plenty more throughout my life that uh, I can think back on now and be like, yep, that was God. That's a God thing. God was looking out over you. Definitely. All right. Were there other Christians that had intersected your life uh, leading you towards Jesus, even without you realizing that that's what they were doing? Uh, yeah, there was, uh, obviously the like, lady at the uh, train stop, and then I had family members. Uh, we remember going up to Minnesota for a uh, reunion every year as a kid, all the way up to I was 17, whatnot. Uh, and there was a family, I mean, they were all pretty Christian group anyway, uh, but there was a certain family that was from Washington that did Bible studies pretty much every day. Uh, and I got involved with that, and again, it was speaking out to me. It was like, hey, I'm here, but I didn't follow up with it was the problem. Good. So looking back, Joe, what does it mean for you to clearly see how Jesus was seeking you even before you started seeking him? Speechless, breathless. Uh, just feels remarkable to have somebody that was watching out for me even though I wasn't aware of it. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Joe. Give him a round of applause. Thank you for coming up this morning. Last week, we talked about how, uh, about how Jesus is giving all of us that compelling invitation to come and see what he is all about. But we also learned that eventually that invitation needs to lead into a follow me moment in our lives. And although it's our decision to follow Jesus, we are looking today about how he is working in all of our lives before we ever make that decision to draw us in so that we are closer to him. 
In the Nazarene church, we, we like to have fancy words for a whole lot of the things that we believe in and think about. Uh, it could be the Nazarene church. It could be Wesleyan theology, which is what we are, Armenian theology, uh, holiness theology. But our fancy word for this is provenient grace. And uh, let's just call it for ourselves um, God's seeking grace today. Provenient grace really means for us today seeking grace, or we could also say it's God's kind of little sneaky grace. There's a little bit of a sneaky grace in there for, for God. It's grace that is given to us even before we have ever asked it or needed or no, knew that we needed it. Here's what the Bible might say about it. Ephesians chapter one, um, or Ephesians, it says, uh, you were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you formerly walked according to the curse of this world. But God being rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our transgressions, made us alive together with Christ by grace you have been saved. If we caught that, it's not talking about a physical death. It's talking about a spiritual death. But let's compare these two. If you are physically dead, you are no longer able to respond to stimuli, right? I mean, we know that. If, if you're dead and I touch you, you're not going to feel it. If you're dead and I call out your name, you're not going to hear me. If I jump up and down and do a cartwheel in, in front of you, if you are dead, you are not going to have any idea the miracle that has just happened <laughs> in front of your eyes. Physically, dead people cannot respond to stimuli, right? Spiritually dead people do not respond to spiritual stimuli. A person might be physically alive, walking around here, but be spiritually dead, unaware of all the things that are happening around them in the spiritual world. Hearing spiritual things means nothing to them because the spiritual sense is dead. Someone who is spiritually dead cannot respond to spiritual truth. Unless, even though they don't deserve it, by God's grace, they are supernaturally drawn towards it. That is what provenient grace is. That is Jesus' Jesus seeking grace. It's not us seeking him, it's him seeking us. And we would never respond to the call of God. None of us that call ourselves Christians, none of us that are following Jesus, none of us would ever have responded to the call of God unless God had first called us. Come and see is this invitation of a seeking grace. But it goes deeper than that. Seeking grace is Jesus giving us the desire to see what he is all about in the first place. If left to our spiritually dead selves, though, none of us would have ever responded to Christ. None of us. Therefore, God is at work in our lives long before we ever are realizing he's working. 
See, when Joe testified about the fire when he was five years old or his family's uh, reunions and those Bible studies and, and all those kind of things, God was at work in Joe's life long before Joe ever realized it. God was at work bringing him to that point in his salvation story to some lady at a train station in Texas. There was a reason why Joe was there and there was a reason why she was there and God's grace had brought them together. That's God's provenient grace. That's God's seeking grace. So last week, remember that that follow me invitation is also followed up by a promise from God saying, follow me and then you will be. Follow Jesus and you will be made into the person that you were never previous. He will change you into the person that he wants you to become. I told you that if you follow Jesus, he will change you into the person that you most desire to be. Now, maybe those words are kind of confusing. He's going to change me into the person I desire to be? Here's what I know. If you follow him, he is changing you. And he is transforming you into the person that, yes, I believe that deep down, all of us desire to become. You want to be the best person. You want to be the clearest image of Christ that you can possibly become, not because of anything that you have done yourself, but because God is calling you towards that. That is what our desire is. And it doesn't come naturally. All of that is from above. So if you don't realize that yet, I want you to open your eyes and and see what he's up to here. Deep down, each and every one of us here desires to be a better person. All of us desire to become more and more like Christ to follow Jesus long enough and and close enough, and you will want to be more like him. The desire to be transformed is provenient grace working on you. You would never ask for that for yourself if God didn't draw you towards it. See, I believe that God is wooing us long before we ever reach that point in our, in our Christian conversion, long before we ever pray that sinner's prayer, God is, has been at work in our life. So we believe that we don't wake up desiring God on our own someday, but that God has been activating this desire in us before we knew or ever understood who God was. You see, I sat in Neil's Sunday school classroom and listened. And I sat at the dinner table of the Vances and I listened to Chuck play his guitar on the church platform. And all of those were moments that God was wooing me closer to him. But long before those days, Jesus was still active in my life. I may not have realized it at the time, but I, as I look back even on my childhood, I realized that God was very active in my life. He was always there. 
So it wasn't Neil or Steve or Chuck. None of those, none of those guys brought, none of those guys, uh, uh, they didn't bring me Jesus. I didn't need them to bring me Jesus. See, what they did, though, is they met Jesus with me because Jesus is already at work in my life. They helped explain Jesus. They helped open my eyes to Jesus. But it wasn't those guys or others that brought me Jesus. Jesus was already there. I just didn't know it. See, Christians, I know for myself that I abide in Christ, which I know that the Holy Spirit lives in me. Without a doubt, I know that Jesus lives within me. I know the Holy Spirit is incarnate through my life. But I have never, I have never brought Jesus to a non-believer. Because Jesus is already there. He's already working. And Christians, what does that mean for us on our journey? I've heard this uh, probably a hundred times before. Uh, it said <clears throat> that Christians can only disciple other Christians. Meaning that you, once you make this decision to follow Jesus, like you're part of this special club, and now you can be discipled by another Christian. It's not true. Discipleship begins a long time before conversion does. To think that the journey of grace begins when somebody turns their life over to the Lord is bad theology. Jesus is at work through you in the lives of those that are spiritually dead. I want you to turn with me to a story in the New Testament, Acts chapter 10. The entire story is in your handout. Uh, much too long for us to go through every single verse. We're going to go through a lot of it uh, this morning. But Acts chapter 10, a story of some provenient grace. Acts chapter 10, we're going to start at verse 1. In Caesarea, there lived a Roman army officer named Cornelius who was a captain of the Italian regiment. He was a devout, God-fearing man, as was everyone in his household. He gave generously to the poor and prayed regularly to God. One afternoon, about three o'clock, he had a vision in which he saw an angel of God coming towards him. <coughs> Cornelius, the angel said. Cornelius stared at him in terror. What is it, sir? He asked the angel. And the angel replied, your prayers and gifts to the poor have been received by God as an offering. Now send some men to Joppa and summon a man named Simon Peter. He is staying with Simon, a tanner who lives near the seashore. As soon as the angel was gone, Cornelius called two of his household servants, a devout soldier and um, one of his personal attendants. He told them what had happened and he sent them off to Joppa. 
Now at this point, the, the story switches over to Peter's point of view. Peter is staying in this town called Joppa, and he is uh, hungry, and he's preparing something to eat, and I guess as you do, he falls into a trance of, of some sort. And it was during this time that uh, Peter received a vision from the Lord where this giant sheet covered with both clean and unclean animals, according to the Jewish law, was lowered from the heavens, lowered to the ground, and a voice called out for him that he was supposed to eat everything that he saw. And no way, Peter says, I have never eaten anything unclean in my life. But the voice said, what God has cleansed shall no longer be considered unholy. And so Cornelius' men arrive in Joppa and they tell Peter, now we're going to skip on down to verse 22. They said, we were sent by Cornelius, a Roman officer. He is a devout and God-fearing man, well-respected by the Jews. A holy angel instructed him to summon you to his house so that he can hear your message. So Peter arrived and said, verse 28, you know it's against our laws for a Jewish man to enter a Gentile home like this or to associate with you. But God has shown me that I should no longer think of anyone as impure or unclean. So I came without objection as soon as I was sent for. Now tell me why you sent for me. So Cornelius and, and, uh, tells Peter about this angel that had come to him and how he was supposed to summon Peter. And Peter responds, verse 34. I see very clearly that God shows no favoritism. In every nation, he accepts those who fear him and do what is right. This is a message of good news for the people of Israel. That there is peace with God through Jesus Christ, who is Lord of all. And then he proceeds to tell Cornelius and all the other Gentiles, all the other people that were at Cornelius' house, people that were not Jewish, all about who Jesus is. He told them all about his crucifixion and his resurrection. And then let's skip down to verse 44. Even as Peter was saying these things, the Holy Spirit fell upon all who were listening to the message. The Jewish believers who came with Peter were amazed that the gift of the Holy Spirit <coughs> had been poured out on all of the Gentiles too. See, we at church, uh, we love the celebration story. We love that conversion story. We love it when somebody stands up or maybe comes to the front and kneels at an altar and gives their life to Christ. We love these stories of being able to tell that God has worked in kids camp and at VBS and at uh, teen camp and all of these celebrations that we have of, of people giving their life over to Christ. But to celebrate such days and not give credit to God for what he did beforehand is a mistake. See, what we don't do is celebrate what the Holy Spirit has done before the conversion. 
God's fingerprints have been on the lives of all of those who gave their life over to Christ long before they ever said yes. See, God's fingerprints are on the lives of every person that you have been praying for. Every lost person, every prodigal, every wayward son or daughter, God's handiwork is evident on every child that is yet to to understand. We love this verse 44. Even as Peter was saying these things, the Holy Spirit fell upon all who were listening to the message. Now, let me tell you, this would be every pastor's dream to just speak and everybody receives the Holy Spirit. And, uh, we celebrate that. And in a few weeks, we're going to baptize some of our friends, younger and older. But to begin the story there is a tragic failure to recognize that Jesus has been at work for a whole long time up until that point. The sweetest reminder for us as Christians especially those who are a little nervous in sharing our faith is that the mission of God doesn't require us to take Jesus to where someone else is, but to simply point how Jesus has already been at work. See, Cornelius was already under this allure of grace We don't know much about his story. We don't know when the Holy Spirit started working on him. Uh, We just meet him here. But before we go, I want to show you these four areas where provenient grace is often going to be at work in your life or maybe even in the lives of those people that you've been praying for, that Jesus is already at work. And so if you're taking notes, write these down. The first one is at the crossroads. Cornelius is a, uh, from a city called Caesarea. And Caesarea was this unique political center because it was a crossroads between Jewish and Gentile cultures. Uh, there were other cities, Jerusalem and Bethlehem and even Joppa that were were definitely solidly Jewish, but not Caesarea. Uh, Caesarea was this rare clash. It had Roman authority and some Jewish influence, and it was often the place of some pretty intense conflicts between the two. And Cornelius, on one hand, was also at this crossroads. He was a Roman officer. He was a military commander. He was devoted to his government, but on the other hand, he was a God-fearing man and interested in the spiritual side of life. And God will often use these crossroads to bring to us to a point of our decision. See, I grew up in a pretty scientific house. My dad was a biology teacher. Uh, Everything in our house was kind of explained by scientific reason. Uh, The culture of the mind collided with the culture of the life of faith. I had had conversations with some of you 
where you have grown up in a, a different church or, and where a personal relationship with Jesus was never spoken of there. But once you came here, your old thoughts collided with what your heart's desire was to connect with God on a personal level. See, provenient grace or God's seeking grace is often found in the middle of those crossroads where one belief or a culture collides with these new information or these new feelings. And number two, provenient grace also shows up in curiosity. There's a professor at the Wesleyan uh, Theological Cemetery, Lovett Weems is his name. He wrote this. God seeks us before we ever seek God. The invitation of salvation is with God from the beginning. Before we take a step, God is already there. Everyone that has ever answered the invitation of Christ was already caught in the magnetism of Christ beforehand. Look at the people in, the, in your world that don't know Jesus. They're curious about you. The people in your world that don't know Jesus, but they know that you do, they're curious about you. In fact, you might be a little strange to them. Some of you are a little more strange than others. There's something about you that is different, right? Something that causes them maybe to hang out a little bit. Something that causes them to engage you in conversation. See, what some of us do, however, is think that as soon as somebody shows a slightest, tiniest little bit of curiosity about Jesus, that we have to spring into evangelistic mode, right? Here I am to save your soul. No, that's, you don't have to be that person, right? When God wants you to close the deal, he will tell you, he will nudge you, pay attention because some of us may be a little bit overzealous in our faith, but some of us have spiritual radar that really needs a tune up as well. When you feel that nudge though, remember whether you're nervous about what to say or not, remember provenient grace was with that person that was curious a whole lot longer than you have been. And there's a reason why they're curious. And if you go back and read our story, Cornelius showed great curiosity about this Jewish customs and practices like generosity and compassion. And when someone shows a level of curiosity about the church, Jesus, or why you are different than everybody else, that's the grace of Jesus already at work. So number three, God's provenient grace shows up through companionship. I've heard it taught that God uses multiple ways to talk to his children. Perhaps some of the, the most obvious ones are through the Bible and reading his word. Obviously, this is God's word. And so if you read that, that is him talking to you. The second most obvious is through prayer, where we get to speak to him and he gets to speak to us. But 
if the Holy Spirit lives in you, it could very well be that when you open your mouth to speak to me, that it is the Holy Spirit that is speaking. Never underestimate the power of the company that you keep. God uses people that are going to show up. One of our pastors in our network just recently had the opportunity to go and visit and uh, pray with a person that was not a believer. And fast forward a couple weeks and they had another opportunity to see this person. And that person welcomed them and loved for them to pray for them. Now this was a great surprise because every single time before that, they had rejected prayer. They didn't want prayer. But God was working at the crossroads in that person's life. God was working through their curiosity and God was working through the companionship of that pastor. See, Cornelius being a Gentile would have been kept from participating in Jewish culture. He wouldn't have been invited. He wouldn't have been able to be part of that. Yet our scripture tells us that he was a God-fearing, well-respected man in the Jewish culture. The end of the story tells us that his house was also full of other fellow Gentiles. These people saw something different about Cornelius. There was something different about him. They wanted to hang out with him. They wanted to be at his home. And it was because of this relationship, which I believe that God directed, that these people received the Holy Spirit that day. When Cornelius was led to his life-changing moment, it was the companionship of Peter that he called for, a devout Jewish man. See, God has a way of aligning our lives with other people. Christians, think about all of the people in your life that right now are pre-Christians. Think about all of those people. Could it be that Jesus has them in your life for a reason? If anyone here is listening um, online or is here today that you've yet to give your life to Christ, do you really think that you're here? Do you really think that you're watching online by accident? I don't. I think that's God's grace. Do you really think that all the Christians in your life are there by some sort of coincidence? No. See, in my life of faith, I needed Carol, I needed her mom, and I needed countless other people from Peoria First to walk alongside of me in companionship before I was ready to start following Jesus. And I gave him my life. And lastly, God's provenient grace shows up within conviction. Each of us has decisions that God leads us to in our own journey of grace. Decisions start with convictions brought on by God's grace. Cornelius had a conviction to reach out to a Jewish man to learn about Christ. He had a conviction to live a life of compassion and to help others. He was convicted to live an upright and moral life. 
we think of conviction as a really kind of like a bad thing. Conviction is not a bad thing. Conviction is just a nudge by God's grace. And that's why discipleship is so important. Discipleship is just one person representing Christ in the life of another. And through those conversations, one or both people are going to become convicted over time to make a decision that aligns their life with God's desire. Here's where we as Christians think that God's provenient grace often ends. We think that it's only for the person that is making their way towards Jesus. A lot of us uh, would think that provenient grace is only God or only Jesus pulling somebody in. But that's an incomplete picture of grace. Provenient grace is that seeking grace is also in the work in the life of Peter. See, Peter had to have grace set him up for a unique calling. Peter had to have grace set him up so that he could go to Cornelius's house. Peter had to have uh, grace work in his life so that he could get past some things, so that he could understand some things, and so that he would be a witness for Cornelius. And that same grace that was sneaking up and drawing and wooing and calling Cornelius in his house was also sneaking up on Peter and Joppa. Grace was working on both sides. Jesus once told his disciples that the harvest is plentiful, but the labors are few. And I, I'm not trying to contradict the Bible. I'm not doing that, but I think that there are pl probably plenty of laborers in the kingdom of God. But most are just hanging out on the street corner waiting to be deployed. When God is over there going, hey, I'm already working over here. Would you just join me? Would you just come to where I'm already working? So let me ask you this, this question as we close today. How many of you have someone that doesn't know Christ in their life? Anyone? Now close your eyes. I want you to see that person. I want you to place them into a, wherever you normally see them, at work, at school, in front of their house, wherever it may be. You see them there? Now I want you to notice Jesus is standing next to them. Maybe he has his arm around them and he's speaking to you today. He said, I've already started the process. See, I found this lost one a long time ago. I've already started to set the stage. And my grace is already starting to woo them towards me. And it's already calling you to come to where I am. I have prepared them to listen, but I'm also preparing you to speak. So would you come and join me?
So I just, uh, as we close, I just want to invite everyone. Would you stand with me today? Let's close in prayer together, especially for those people that we just might have had in our mind's eye. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that long before, long before we ever sought you out, you were seeking us. Lord, each of us that would testify that we are following Christ could also look back in our life and say, these are all the times, and we would miss quite a few, but these are all the times that you were working in our life long before we knew it. Lord, in this room, I know that there are a lot of prodigals. I know that there are a lot of wayward sons and daughters. I know, Lord, that there are spouses that are represented in this room this morning. Uh, For those that are watching online, there are a lot of people that we have in our life that aren't following Christ. And there may be some here today. Lord, we pray not just for them, because today we realize that you are strong at work already in their life. Your prevenient grace, your seeking grace, that sneaky grace of yours is already at work. So Lord, would you use your grace this morning to prepare us to join you in your conversation? Remind us, Lord, that we don't have to bring you there. You are already there. You are already at work. And so, Lord, whatever, whoever it may be that we had on our mind's eye there, would we realize, Lord, that it is you calling us to join in on the conversation, to join in on the relationship, to do what we need to do to, for them to take the next step towards you. Help us, Lord, to join in with your provenient grace that has gone before us and prepared the way. Help us know, Lord, that we are going where you have already set up for us. You've already set it up. So, Lord, may your blessing be upon again all of these people, all of the conversations that are going to be happening this week. And Lord, we pray in particular uh, to those that know the way but are just ignoring it. We pray, Lord, for those that grew up knowing who you are but have walked away. And Lord, we'd ask that you would bring somebody, somebody, Lord, give them the courage, give them the bravery, We know, Lord, that you're going to give them the words. And we thank you, Lord, that even though they may have seemed to walk away from you, you have never walked away from them. And you are still at work in their life. Lord, bring someone into their life today that would speak your truth. And we will celebrate with you. We'll celebrate in advance all of those who will come to know you because of your provenient grace, never gave up. 
We love you, Jesus. We thank you for what's going to happen this week because of you. We thank you, Lord, for the ability to come here to church today to worship you. We love you, Jesus. And it's in your name that we pray. Amen.